All right, we got Twiggy Branches rocking us into this 39th episode of the Peace on Drugs podcast. If you want to try a hemp cigarette that doesn't taste like shit, this is their official motto. I've smoked these. I can vouch for this slogan. I'd even go a step further and say they actually taste great. I really enjoy them. They're a new company out of California called Sugar. You can order their Crim Hemp Cigarettes, completely tobacco and nicotine-free in three flavors, original, vanilla, and mint, at sugarcali.com. Orders over $25, get free shipping, and enter the offer code PEACE15 at checkout for 15% off. That's P-E-A-C-E-1-5, PEACE15, sugarcali.com. Okay, Peace Nicks, we did it. Got through the one and only ad. Today's guest is Alex Collier. She is the president and founder of the Albertus Project. She comes into this fight to help end the drug war as an outsider, someone who didn't struggle with substance abuse, someone not into drugs and drug culture. But um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna nerd out a little actually. This reminds me of a quote from Dune, which I just saw last night. Uh, the quote was, uh, a great man doesn't seek to lead, he's called to it and he answers. And um, Alex lost one of her best friends Reed McGregor last year when she lost her battle with addiction and this led Alex to look for answers. How could this have happened? How could she try and stop this from happening to other people? She didn't want anyone to have to feel the loss that she felt. And so she was called to action and she answered. She started the Albertus Project named after Albertus Avenue, the street where she and Reed grew up. Having people like Alex join the fight to look at drug addiction honestly and without judgment is so powerful. We cannot change the world on our own, us in the drug community. We need everyone to start paying attention. Just because someone doesn't use drugs doesn't mean that they cannot be affected by their prohibition and the dangers of a black market. The Albertus Project is a nonprofit organization with a vision of transforming the way the world views addiction from a mindset of blame and shame to one of compassion and support. You can help their cause by donating at albertusproject.org. All right, Peace Nicks, let's dive in with Alex Collier. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug Drugs are menacing our society. Any thoughts on the drug problem? I had a great time doing drugs. So tonight, from our family to yours, from our home to yours, thank you for joining us. This is the Peace on Drugs. On drugs. So how are you? I am good. I really appreciate you uh, having me on today. Very I appreciate, excited. Appreciate you being on. That was um, last time I saw you. We were hosting the um, the vigil for the uh, for David for the Alice Burtis project. Yeah. No. Exactly. Uh, and that was such a sad sort of somber day but i think it was actually really nice because there were so many people that i got to meet like i got to meet you and and see so many new faces and i think it was really important for his family to see that just as special as sort of he was as a person um as a family member as a husband son brother um he affected the lives of people who they never even heard of and people who david have never even met before but because of his book um, we're just really inspired by him, which I think was really, really great to see. It was like a, it was a day of like true mixed feelings. I feel. Yeah, it was. And, um, it was, I was very powerful. Just all the different people that were affected by him first, you know, obviously the people that were close to them, but then people like me who only, I met him, you know, through zoom meeting for an hour and a half. And it was just yeah. that brief time of knowing him. I knew he was, you know, just a special person. Yeah, no, he was for sure. And uh, yeah, no, I was going to say too, like, I remember you, you spoke during the vigil and I think everyone's impression was the same, whether you, you know, spoke to him for like an hour or for five minutes, you knew him like as a very good friend, like he just made you feel very at home and um, like he, you were just like friends right away, which I just super appreciated about David. Definitely. And um, I like the story you said about he joined your book club and uh, like, cause you asked him if you could, if he would be a part of one of them for his book. And he's like, can I actually just join? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like a, a thousand percent you could join. I mean, it's all of us just talking about how much we like your book, but like, by all means you can join <laughs> early. And he's like, are you sure? Um, and he sat there with a, 
at towards the end, we were like going on over two hours and he's like, Hey, uh, do you mind if we like, if I can pause for a second and go get some ice cream, I'll come back. We'll talk more about the book. And that was just the person he was in it. It sort of goes to, to highlight that, like all these people in the space who have dealt with addiction or are in active addiction are like really good dope people who the traditional idea of a drug addict isn't David, right? You would walk by on the street, you wouldn't know you would talk to him. And I think that's important for people to understand that his book talked a lot about, um, for me, highlighted a lot of the stuff that I had to check myself and I continue to have to check myself because this is just not my space. Um, But learning that, you know, you're kind of grown up and uh, taught in a certain way uh, about people who use drugs, that they're bad people and people you don't want to associate with and they're lazy. David's book really chopped that for me and like made me have uh, a different sort of 180 view. And I think he was the perfect example of a special person that regardless of drug use, mental health issues, he was just a good guy. Exactly. And a lot of that is propaganda. They want us to believe that drugs are going to destroy us. So they only show us people at their very worst when they're on drugs. The people that are doing good don't come out and say, look at me, I'm fine. Yeah. On drugs. They, they stay they stay hidden. And Dr. Carl Hart was the first I heard openly, this was like probably eight years ago or something, I heard him openly talking about drug use and saying the successful people like me, you know, we need to be out there telling people that we're doing drugs to just to change the stereotype. And that was the first, that's when I first thought about doing this podcast it was like, you know what? I've done drugs my whole life. I've had problems with them. It's not saying that they're, everybody should just do drugs and, and it's going to yeah. be great. But if you can do it responsibly and some drugs might benefit you, some have helped me get through some really hard times. Some have created yeah. problems themselves, but yeah, I think that, yeah. That's what David did, right? And and from for our listeners, just so they know, we're talking about um, David Posey's. I've been saying his name wrong. I just I did a podcast with um, Doctor Junkie uh, Ben Benjamin Voice um, last week, and um, he was saying his name Posey. I was like, oh, or Posey's. I was like, I've been saying it wrong. Oh my god, I've been saying Posey's the whole time. So maybe he's saying it wrong. Then I don't. I I, I just assume. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. David's just the best. So we'll call Mister David. David. He wouldn't have cared, but um. So anyway, that's who we're talking about. David Posey's who um, wrote the book, The Weight of Air. Great book. If you haven't read it, check it out. So um, t- let's talk about the Albertus Project because that's um, that's what you're that's what you're doing here. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So um, I run a five hundred one c three nonprofit called the Albertus Project, based out of uh, Northern Virginia, actually right by DC where I live. Um, and I started the Albertus Project in honor of my one of my best friends, Reed, who passed away from an overdose very early on in 2021. Um, and before that, I had not, I had no clue about addiction. I was oblivious. I held very stigmatized views. I was incredibly uneducated, and I knew that I loved Reed. And I knew that at one point in time, Reed had a drug issue, um, but I know that I love my friend and and there was never stigma there. I thought she was different than other people who use drugs. It just sort of goes to show you like how, how little that made sense. Um, and anyways, when she passed away, I was brokenhearted and realized, holy moly, like I didn't know anything what, what I could do to support her. I didn't know if it was like appropriate for me to ask her about it. And I just, I felt very alone. And when I went to go look online for like just basic factual information, I found it really difficult. I went to like so many different websites and each website said something differently, which was strange to me because like every other medical condition, right? It's like very clear when you go online, you search like anxiety, like it'll say, this is what you do. You take this medicine, you can go to a doctor, you can go to a psychiatrist, whatever it may be. And it was, it's very black and white, but I did not find that with addiction. Um, and I found it a very polarizing space. So I founded the Albertus Projects. We have our mission is read to redefine the way that the world views addiction, really from one of blame and shame. Hey, it's your fault to one of compassion and support to to empower people who are suffering uh, in active addiction and who are in recovery, making them feel good and at their best and that they're human because they are um, educating the public, which is a huge part of our mission, really catering towards the people like me, trying to pull them into the conversation so they can actually understand, take two seconds just to be a little bit more educated than they were before and deed to destigmatize, which I think at the end of the day, if you start to educate people and you start to talk about taboo topic, 
in public settings and, you know, on podcasts like this and on social media, which is what we try to do, it becomes a lot more normalized and you're like, oh, it's not like a hush word, like drug use, you know, you can say it out loud and be okay with it. Um, and I think it's really important that, um, you know, I always talk about it and I spoke about this with David too, but it, this stuff is only going to change and it's only going to better if people who don't, who aren't directly involved with it, speak up. And I think that that was, you know, my mission is to speak up because my best friend is no longer here. Um, I don't want any other best friend to have to go through what I did. Um, and no one should have to feel alone or shamed. Um, and I just think it's really important that we sort of rally behind these people. So that's sort of the mission of the Alberta's project. Uh, we have a bunch of different initiatives, but that's that's it at a high level. That's it. That's absolutely fantastic that you're doing all this. And um, and you you nailed it though. I mean, that's what it is. We have to educate the public and we have to destigmatize this thing because people have have such a negative idea of drug use that if as soon as they find out someone's on drugs, they immediately blame the person or they'll blame yeah. a pharmaceutical company or a little bit of both. But they're not going to look at the problem of well, why what why would somebody become addicted to drugs? Is it because they're depressed or something else and that this is actually making them feel better? Absolutely not. They cannot look at drugs as possibly they were helping somebody. Because if you right. look at the people that were doing Oxycontin, a lot of them live very productive lives while they were getting that, that prescription. If it wasn't too expensive on the streets as it was, but a lot of people lived productive lives until it was, they, they pulled it from the streets. They said no more over prescribing of this drug. And they had to go to the streets and get heroin and fentanyl and their lives immediately became worse. And that's not to say people on Oxycontin had great lives. Um, a lot of them paid right. way too much. No, for it, all, it all depends. It, exactly. And it, I just, I think it's important. Like a lot of these things that we take for granted as people who aren't involved in this space. Like I, I just, I sort of check myself and I think about it, like, where did I start learning all this stuff? And I think about it like school, you know, you, you'd have presentations in school. I remember being like in middle school and they said like, you know, smoking weed is bad and like all these things. And I was just like, you know, you're, you're, you're so impressionable at that age. And you really think, okay, like I'm going to be a good kid. You know, it's funny. Um, I like, I'm a, I work for the government. Um, and it's ironic because obviously all the things that I stand for in terms of wanting to help the addiction community is basically a 180 of what you can do working for the government. Like I've never in my life, uh, smoked, and I actually just don't drink, I hate the taste. So I am uh, running a nonprofit to support the addiction community, having never really understood that space up until a year ago, not drinking, not smoking, not doing it. And I sort of put myself as a poster child and say, hey, if I can try learning it and like, so this is so not my world, anyone else can try to do it too. Um, and that's part of why I create resources for the Alberta's project and put it out to the public where like, for example, I have one on like how to support a loved one with addiction. Like, I wish there was like a clear answer. There's not, but I consolidated, I'd spent hours researching and putting things together and, and tossing it to different people who had expertise just to make something. So even if you don't want to spend two hours of research like I did, because that means you're invested, you can take two minutes, go on the website, click and be like, okay, I, I feel a little bit more educated. Um, or for example, like yesterday, um, not a lot of people know, even people who are suffering um, from alcoholism, that there is medication, medication assisted treatment that has been proven to really help. So I was like, I don't really know a lot about this space, but I should probably learn more and educate myself. So I spent a couple of weeks actually doing research, um, had a friend edit it, um, and then I put it out online yesterday and I got so many amazing um, DMs and, and responses basically saying, wow, this is great. I didn't know, you know, you know, my brother is suffering. I didn't know that there are options. And I think that that's what people need. People need to know that they're not alone, that other people have been through this and that you're not boxed into one corner, whether it's you yourself suffering or like a family member. Gotcha. And what are the um, drugs to help alcoholism? Because I know my wife uh, had suffered from alcoholism, playing, playing in restaurants constantly, uh, being on alcohol, and she took Librium. We did a podcast about that. Um, Librium helped her get off of the, from having the withdrawals. 
Um, but then after okay. that, there was no, there was no prolonged medication. So it would lead to relapsing pretty easily because she would go back to those situations that she would get those yeah. anxiety. It's a, it's a compulsion. I look at addiction as more of a compulsion disorder. Um, yeah, for sure. So what are these? Yeah, no, and I was gonna, yeah. So there are three that I just recently learned about. Um, it's naltrexone, disulfiram, and acamprosate. And those are the three ones that are approved by the FDA. There are others like there's like gabapentin. People have said that it's been successful, but like these are the ones that have been proven by the FDA to work. Um, so they're one of these diasulfram, like basically if you take diasulfram and then you drink, you will feel violently ill. So it's, it's basically incentivizes you, holy, I don't want to feel that bad. But a lot of it's been proven to be like, uh, they rated it like a bunch of doctors and clinicians. They say like, I'm going to rate this a B versus the other two are like rated an A uh, because you have to like be committed to do that. Otherwise, why are you going to take the pill, right? You right. have to really, 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 like they say, like work with a clinician, like have a plan. Otherwise, it's not going to work. So that's one option. Then there's naltrexone, um, which is also used to combat um, opioid use disorder. Um, you can get uh, injection, which costs actually a lot of money. I was researching, or you could, you know, take a pill, and that basically blocks you from getting high, helps with withdrawals, all that sort of stuff. So that's been proven to be really effective. And this acamprosate, basically the same thing, doesn't block you from getting high um, but it changes the it's believed to change the way that your brain functions and has sort of compulsive use so all three of those are options um and it's just interesting because i think about all the stuff that i know now that holy moly i wish i knew when you know my friend was alive but i think it's 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 it's, it's essential that if you uh have a loved one who is suffering a friend a family member whatever that may be that you educate yourself. And a lot of people might call that like a need, like, oh, it's on them to figure out all the different paths. I, I truly don't believe that. I think as a friend and a family member, substitute it with another problem. Let's say they're having you know problem at work. You might help them try to find a job. You might say, oh, well, blah, blah, blah was talking about this job or, oh, this is a really good company. And I think it's just, it's, it's essential that we equip ourselves with knowledge so that way, if our loved one does come to us or we have a conversation with them and know that they're struggling, say, hey, listen, you know, here for you whenever. And if you are interested in treatment, no, you don't have to go to a conventional 28 day, 60 day treatment where you're sort of locked away from society. There's meetings. No, it's not just AA or NA meetings. There's smart recovery. There's women for, you know, there's so many things that I have learned that when I speak to other people in the community who are actively in addiction or uh, who are in recovery, they've never even heard of these things. And I think it's such a travesty, like it's such a tragedy, because if these people knew they could help more people and it's not anyone's fault, it's just, I think there's a bunch of reasons, but for whatever reason, there is a confined sort of scope of your fault, your problem, your family's enabling you, you need to stop completely. Abstinence is the only way to live. 12 step step program, go away to rehab, come back and never do this stuff again. And no wonder why people continue to die. Like point blank, mm -hmm. that stuff works for many, which is awesome and I'm so happy it does, but it does not work for the vast majority of people. But the only thing that people know is that. So. I think about my friend, like her family, me, we didn't know that really that there were other options. What if, you know, we said to Reed, hey, you might not like this. What do you think about this program, right? If you like, and it's been proven statistically that people who are suffering from addiction, it they are more likely to be successful and remain abstinent or continue on the recovery journey if they choose their own treatment. So prescribing a treatment to someone that already doesn't align is is not a good mix and we wouldn't do that with any other um physical or mental ailment and it's surprising to me that this point in time you know 2022 unfortunately with addiction we're, we're like nope one option well this has to do with laws too we have laws that prevent doctors from pro uh, providing opiates to opiate addicts and that's because if you could provide a good opiate to the, if they're addicted to say heroin, you prescribe heroin, a lot of people, a lot of them will actually get off of heroin. It's, it's the other, the heroin is just helping them through problems. Yes. And if you, if you help them 
give them a, a steady supply of affordable heroin while they're working through their problems, it'll be easier for them to work through their problems. Exactly. And, and that's, you know, see, and it's so interesting. If you told me that a year ago, I would told you that's BS and like, there's no way that that's true. Um, you know, I really had to check myself at the front door when I started this and like, you're going to have to try to learn. And it took me a while to like actually start believing this stuff. Cause remember you're sort of doctrinated, you're taught one way. Um, but Maya Slavitz has a book called on doing drugs, which basically talks about the whole history of harm reduction. And in that book, it talks about, uh, how in England, uh, I think it was Liverpool. They were yep. like the first people to start, uh, this harm reduction movement. Um, besides in the Netherlands and this doctor, one doctor in Liverpool was prescribing his patients who were addicted to heroin, heroin, and the vast majority of them got off and got jobs, right? Because they no longer had needed to steal. They weren't involving themselves in crime and other people. They just got what they needed to go about their day. And then they would go to work and they would, and they got jobs and maintain relationships with family members. It's, it's sort of like, isn't this so simple? But because of where we're at right now and how like stigmatized it is and like now it's used like I think about from a government perspective as like a I support law enforcement, I support the war on drugs. It's like a badge of honor and it's very tough to combat it when it's a badge of honor. It is. And um, and yet I read Undoing Drugs. That was great. And Maya was on the podcast, actually, and we talked about it. And I think it was I believe it was the HIV was the first reason that they started uh, prescribing heroin because the HIV rates were crazy. And yeah. immediately they saw those rates drop to almost, I want to say, under five percent with um, within drug uh, needles, people that were using uh, injectable drugs. But, yeah, it's um, it's become uh, but if you look at our country, why can't we do these things? I mean, in some places they have needle exchanges, but I live in Florida. We have a, lot, a big drug problem. This, the pill mills were huge here and there's no needle exchange. There's no harm reduction yeah. centers. Um, I don't even think there's any other recovery centers. When you were talking about smart recovery, actually, I, I haven't ever thought about this till just when you said it, but I was like, I need to look up to see if there's any other addiction treatment besides abstinence only. And I'm pretty sure that's all we have is NAA and look into trying to start something. Cause I know there's a lot of people here that could be helped if, if I could talk to them, because I've, I had an addiction to opiates. I quit using them and I'm way better for me myself without opiates, but I, I'm not completely sober. And, and that, that scares people. Well, I can't drink. I can't mm. you know do anything. Yeah if I'm going to quit doing opiates. So they, they just don't even want recovery because they don't like the yeah, idea of being sober. Yeah. Which is, which is a flawed way of looking at things, but no, and I agree. And like, so that's the interesting thing too, like saying like, I didn't know it existed. Like I, so part of what I've done for my podcasts and in the process of continuing to do is uh, I have got a representative from like l at least every organization really that exists that is a, uh, I'll then call it alternative to the 12 step program. And there are so many, like my Lord, it's so cool. Um, how many exist and really how, you know, sort of my, my number one thing that I wanted to know is when I was, before I got these people on the podcast is like, okay, I think it's important for people to know about it, but like, if it's not more successful than AA or NA, I don't really want to recommend it. So I was doing my research and came across this uh, clinical study, which all these groups actually like participated in. And it was like Women for Sobriety, I think it was Life Ring um, and Smart Recovery and comparing that to the success rates of like the 12, traditional 12 step program. It's all been proven to be equally effective as long as there is a group setting, which all of them have. So I think it's cool that all of it doesn't matter what you do if you want to do something um, you can feel empowered that oh just because i'm not doing the traditional model and i'm already feeling shamed you don't have to be concerned that it's not as effective because it is and what's really nice is all these different groups have very like particular things like women for sobriety it's in the name women recovery dharma talks a lot about buddhist principles so if you align to that that might be a good fit it's something that i'm thinking about doing um, is I have sporadic like resources about these different um, recovery groups on my website. But what I want to do is my next step is to create, uh, I don't want to say a BuzzFeed quiz, but a quiz where it can sort of match you or your loved one to what suggested might be a best recovery group. Because there's so mm -hmm. many 
And another thing too is like, I always try to think of things that me as someone who wasn't interested in this space would like want to learn and want to do. Um, and sort of, this sounds crazy, but like make it fun. Cause frankly, the space that you and I are in isn't fun, right? People are dying, but we want to inject people who aren't really into this and they find this really scary. So like, if I make a quiz, like maybe more people will be drawn to it. You know, I try to think of, I don't want to say advertising tactics, but ways that my mind before my losing my friend, how I would think about it. And I would be much more inclined to take a quiz than spend two hours of my time trying to research. Cause like no one's got time for that, you know? Exactly. And then when you talk about like uh, Buddhist or, um, you know, Zen ways of going through addiction, when I was young, I, I would have immediately thought that was a weird religion. I don't want to part of it. So I think getting people to just yeah. try different things or taking a quiz would let them understand because I, I found Buddhism principles. I, I go to a little Buddhist temple down the road. And, oh, really? Cool. Uh, and um, I don't go enough, but I work a lot. But um, anyway, I, but also I, I do, I meditate and I've, you know, Eckhart Tolle and all yeah. these different, um, you know, th these being in the present moment has always, has been a really big positive influence for me and really mm. helped me see my past for what it was and, and people that, you know, may have wronged me or just things from my past that was able to forgive and just move past and that really yeah. helped me with drug addiction and other problems and i think people not understanding what some of those religions are because it doesn't you know it's not like i grew up in the church and religion was a big turnoff for me for a while after that mm. and some people and for some other people it's it's what helps them you know god is yeah, yeah, god, yeah. god kept, kept me kept me out of aa and na because i knew it went to they went to god even though they have an agnostic agnostic chapter in the book it basically just says create your own god which i'm like ah eh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like, and that's what I was trying to like, I, I do not suffer from addiction. And I'm, I'm very lucky because of that. And I can't always place myself in someone's position who has because I just haven't been there. But I imagine that I was addicted and I wanted to start my recovery journey. I would not want to do a NA because I believe in a higher power, but that stuff throws me for a loop to me. I want data. I want science, I want evidence-based. So to know that there are other options, there's like uh, secular organizations for sobriety, which is like a group that literally like God is not a part of it. Like you can believe in God, but it's not gonna, you know, when you have a meeting. Um, and I think it's just nice too. The other thing that I've learned is um, how, what a relationship a lot of these groups have with each other, where just because you go to AA, doesn't mean smart recovery is like, yeah, come on in or recovery Dharma is like, yeah, sure. Um, and it was interesting too. Like I attended my first recovery Dharma meeting about a month ago, maybe a little bit more. I wanted to see what it was all about. And I asked like, Hey, like, you know, I, I don't have a friend suffering. I'm not suffering myself, but I really want to learn about this program. And they were like, yeah, hundred percent. And like the first 20 minutes were just a meditation. And I just thought it was such a, you know, you talk about meditation, uh, meditation, like a nice part of the day um, and addiction. There's a reason that a person is addicted. The vast majority of people, like 80% plus use addictive drugs, don't become addicted. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I thought that if you, you know, do oh, yeah. a line of cocaine, oh, you're addicted, right? That's, that's how they sort of teach you, right? Obviously, we know with science, that's not the case. Um, but it's just, it's really important. Again, I go back to um, education. It's really important that we as a public um, educate ourselves. But I think it's also incumbent upon the government in some form or fashion to actually start changing the way that they do things. Because that it's like, it's a give and a take, right? We inform, we change the society and thus our legislation and laws change and people who represent us. But at the same time, if things are outlawed and illegal, we sort of as a society are like, oh, yeah, it must be bad. There's got to be a reason. Weed's got to be really bad because that's illegal. But alcohol is good because that's legal, right? So it's, they inform us too. So while I say it's incumbent upon all of us to be educated, I think the government actually needs to start playing a role in this. And that could be something like, and I know ONDCP, which is the office for uh, national drug control policy at the White House has been good about this, um, which I'm, I'm happy about. They talk about harm reduction and all that sort of stuff. But where is the education in classrooms? Like where is someone teaching our high school students that 
if how to use Narcan, right? Like if I'm learning CPR, you better be teaching my kids how to use Narcan. Where is the, hey, if you are suffering and you want to reduce your harm, your the use of, of drugs in a harmful way, this is how you can do it. It's no, don't do it. Our kids become inequipped. They don't have the skills. And then there, there's issues, whether that's overdoses or HIV spreading, whatever it may be. It's just very important that our government start to get on side with the rest of us that the war on drugs hasn't been effective. Um, but that that's a big hill to climb. It is. And it reminds me of abstinence teaching with sex in high school, because it's like as soon as right. they start teaching someone how to use a condom, which is harm reduction. Yes. You're going to get religious groups in there like, well, what are you, we're not teaching kids how to have sex. We want them not having sex when they refuse to just accept the fact that they're going to, some of them are going to have sex. And it's, right. not, it's the same thing with the drug. If we start teaching them how to use Narcan, well, that's admitting some kids are going to use drugs. And we, we want to just say they're not using drugs. They are, though. We have to face the facts. We're yeah. teaching sex education. We need to treat drug education and also be a little more honest. If they would have been honest to begin with about cannabis and said from the beginning it's not a very harmful drug it's not addictive but if you use it too much it can be bad then we then when i tried it i might have been like all right well that was what they said it was i'm still going to be scared about doing heroin because they've told me yeah yeah yeah. versus they lie about cannabis what else do they lie about exactly and you know it was crazy to me i was looking at a couple of months ago just to sort of understand like the different schedule of drugs in the u.s and like one's the highest and weed like and literally and, and so like schedule one drugs are basically deemed as like there is no medicinal value and these are the most addictive harmful substances right and weed is one i was like i i thought it was on the reg- wrong website i was like that that can't be right so then i i go to another one and i see that that's the case and i'm like holy moly like we've been duped here like this is nuts that like and listen for example fentanyl is like label number two and there's a lot of there's medicinal value and it is used whatever but like that is a lot more addictive and harmful than weed is so it's just it's tough to sort of understand what's going on when you feel a little bit uh lied to the full information isn't there and this is what i say every government makes mistakes every government changes uh, and amends to like we should be amending to 2022. So why politicians still continue to have this rhetoric about the war on drugs and that we need to continue doing it. And, you know, I saw something recently where like, I was a little disappointed uh, where ONDCP, that um, drug control policy office in the White House, um, their director was like traveling around like Florida, visiting the Coast Guard. So we like stop fentanyl coming in the States. And I and I say that with like uh, uh, sarcasm because I'm like, what? that's not the issue, guys. Like, why are we? But it was a photo op. It's oh, a yeah. way to say we're supporting law enforcement. Listen, love law enforcement. God bless them. But like, that is not the solution. Like, we have statistics. We have the data. People aren't dying because of influx of stuff from other countries people are dying from the stuff that's tainted here and how about the radical idea of making it safe the actual supply because you know it's interesting and i'm curious your thoughts too but it's become the overdose crisis and i think about it my friend didn't die from an overdose my friend died from a drug poisoning. She did not know what was in her drugs. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of people now were using sort of incorrect, I, I still continue to say it, but like language because it isn't drug overdoses. Uh, you're not taking too much. It's the fact that you don't know what's in your stuff. And that's kind of scary to me. And if you told me at any point in my life that I'd be vouching and saying that we should um, like, make drugs legal and like have the government help regulate i would have been like no drugs are awful like why are we doing that we're encouraging people now reading the science now after this opportunity to really learn and can engage with the community i see the way that we can save lives is by regulating drugs and that 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 is what we should be doing obviously that that's another big hill to climb but that's really where it's at so like i'm curious your thoughts like drug overdose drug poisoning like what do you think are we, are we using the wrong term um as, as far as the wrong term i mean sure it's definitely a poisoning i like that a lot because it puts the blame 
I mean, still, we, all these terms tend to put the blame on the drugs, but the, the reality, I know, yeah, yeah, like even harm reduction, it, the harm is the first right. word. It's a, it is true. You were reducing harm and it's a good movement. I'm hundred percent behind it, but it does imply that drugs are harmful. And, but the thing is they are the ones on the streets are definitely harmful. And that's what we're trying yeah. to do is reduce harm from street drugs, but we can reduce that harm down to zero. If we bring it into a legal market or at least almost zero, if you look at the overdose in exactly. safe injection sites, there's zero deaths in safe injection sites. And this isn't even right. legal drugs. This is just a place where they can do them. But the problem is, is where yeah. do you put them? Everybody's going to be like, you're putting one here, not in my neighborhood. And they, they're yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just, yeah, it is crazy. And I was talking, I think it was Ben, Ben Boyce, who you just had on your podcast. But um, when Ben and I were talking, he's like, think about how crazy it is. We're just like, we're not going to help you. We're not going to do anything to help the active drug user community. But when you're like overdosing and you're here, we'll save you. It's like, that's pretty crazy, right? Like we're not going to do anything from like you start yeah. using more preventative methods. We're just like, okay, yeah, you're dying. Okay. Here's Narcan. I just saved a life. So I agree with you. And like, and I agree with what Ben was saying. I'm so happy. Like New York has two overdose prevention sites. Whoopee. I think that that is great and dope, but why can't we do more? You know, exactly. That's just like the bare minimum. More? Yeah, it's it's just the bare minimum. And I'm thinking, it's just it sucks. It, you know, I I think about the stuff that I do on a daily basis. I'm sure you do too with the podcast. And it's like, I feel like I'm not making enough of an impact because like people are continuing to die at an insane rate. Apparently, every six minutes, according to the CDC, and we're out here having like basically two overdose prevention sites in one state in a country of over 300 million people like we're not doing this we're, we're sort of going to like z and just like pretending like oh that's okay and it makes me really sad and it sort of disenfranchises me from the work that i'm doing because i just wish i'm sure you do too that people who were against this stuff would just like open their eyes, would just listen. Like, I don't need anyone to like, just take it for gospel, but it's, I feel like the people who are very, very against this have already just made up their mind and they're not gonna listen. Well, it's, it's true, but also it's because of the politics in this country. As soon as a candidate were to come out and support what we're talking about, the other side, all they have to do is say they like, look what happened when Biden tried to do one good thing with helping um, a little bit of harm reduction with the uh, yeah. providing crack pipes. Immediately, it was just blown up. Of like, he's giving giving away crack. It's like, OK, yeah, you guys yeah, are yeah. listening to what's actually happening. And that's going to happen across the board. But we have to get to a place. And we're slowly seeing it with cannabis. Cannabis has become a great gateway drug, as yeah. they always said it was, in yeah. making, <laughs> making people realize they've been lied to because a lot of elderly right. people are now smoking it or using the yes. drops and realizing this is medicinal. It helps with me with yes. my glaucoma. So they're understanding some of that. And, we're, and we are pulling back the drug war. But the problem is, and me and Ben talked about this, is the amount of professions and money that circles around this war on drugs. So when you look at the, where the propaganda is coming from, there's people that have spent their whole careers. Imagine if, you, like he brought up the point, imagine if you if you spent your whole career kicking in doors and arresting poor people for drugs. Yeah. And then when we, in the drug war, history is not going to be kind on you and what you did with your life. I mean, just because you yeah. did it thinking you were doing good doesn't mean that what you were doing wasn't awful and that yeah, that will be your legacy. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting too, because like I think about the DA, and I, I love the government. I think, I think the US like government is, is awesome and great. And I work for it because I support the mission and I believe in it. Um, but it, you know, I'll just give you an example. I was looking yesterday, I, I follow DA because I like to educate myself and see what they put out. Um, and they, they put out a, a graphic of all different random icons. They're like, if it's a snow icon, someone wants like, cocaine if it's a pill someone is asking you for oxycontin like all these things and i'm just like what? where are they coming up and spending their time they probably spent so many hours making that graphic they just i, I just I, I couldn't believe that their social media department or like their public affairs would spend time making something as like mundane and i'm just gonna say silly and sorry but stupid as that is when I think the DEA can continue to accomplish their mission of, okay, ensuring that drugs aren't entering our, our country. Like, fine, sure. Like, do your thing. But 
arresting like the non-kingpins in the United States is just making this a more lethal war. And by that, I mean like, okay, that person gets taken out. There's someone going to be in their place. Someone could, you know, be cutting it with fentanyl, whatever it may be. And it's like, it's just, when are we going to start to look at the data and the facts and the DA be like, hmm, okay, we've been at this for like, about 20 years and what's the ROI? What is the return on investment for our taxpayer dollars? Mm -hmm. I don't see a lot of it. I see a lot of damage. And I do believe that there are amazing, amazing people who work at the DEA. I really do. And I think that they're about the mission. I just wonder if they've ever thought about it from the other side. And I'm sure some have, but okay, what am I doing today? And how does this actually help people? Because the whole point of the government is to serve the American people and help it. And I do believe the vast majority of agencies do that and do that pretty well. However, if I think if I work for the DEA and I am just stopping random people in the US, how much safer am I making the communities? And the answer is it might appear because you're locking people away. Oh, I feel good. They're gone. They're gone. People are going to get their drugs either way. And there's a good chance that someone's going to cut it with something now. And that's not good. So I really hope that the government, the DEA specifically, starts to look at the return on investment and, and maybe change a little bit of their mission to like harm reduction. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that's a pipe dream. But how can they change their mission to align with what 2022 is for the vast majority of Americans? I think that's something that they need to look at. I agree. I, I'm not sure if I agree with you 100% about uh, the amount of good people that work for the DA, and this might just be my bias, but I'm, there, I'm sure there are some good people that went in and are just so brainwashed and haven't looked at the other side that they think they're doing good. But I, I, you, I, don't, I don't think you could do that job for too long before you realize that what you're doing isn't helping. Yeah. Also, yeah. also no, think about, oh, I was just thinking about this. No, no, go if, ahead, go ahead. If there was one, say, say if there was one mission that they could do and they were like, we figured out a mission. If we do this mission, we're going to wipe out completely the, white, the drug trade from Mexico. Would they even want to do that mission? Because it would, they would lose their jobs. They would no longer have yeah, jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, you. listen, you raise all really good points. And I, I think about that too, having like, you know, working for the government and the whole point. I, so I used to work for the uh, Joint Artificial Intelligence Center within the Department of Defense. I'm no longer there, but it was a really great experience. And we always talked about like, our mission is to really run ourselves out of a mission, meaning everyone's so ahead on AI and the DOD that we don't need to help anyone anymore. So I, I, I hope that the DEA looks at their job like that. I think you and I both know that that's not the case. I think there's a lot of politics that goes into this stuff, as you well know. I mean, no one needs to tell us that. And I think I think it's tough because a lot of these people think that they're doing good. And I, you know, I would like to know, and I, I think for all of us, we would actually greatly benefit, like, besides the people, like, knocking down doors and like stopping like people bringing cocaine from Mexico. What else are they doing? Because what I see online and, and I and I feel saddened by is don't use drugs like that's like their thing. And like here, here's an educational pamphlet for your family and like to basically tell your kids not to use drugs. Well, you're the DEA and you can do whatever you please, but don't you think it would help your mission to say, don't use drugs, that is the first line, but if you do, this is how you can reduce the harms, right? Because that's their job, to protect the public from drugs. So that also includes that people take drugs, how to be safe about it. And I think, honestly, that would be a really cool thing that the DEA could do to start to go into the education uh, field that isn't just one-minded absence, don't use drugs, because that's not helpful. Um, but, I, you know, it's funny, I look at a lot of the people who follow them, and I do like that a lot of the people who follow them are people who I follow in the addiction and drug community, because we really do want to understand what, it's sort of like opposition, like what do they see? What are they understanding? And I, and I like that because I think it's important to always sort of check yourself and like, what are they saying? I just, what I think would be important for the DA to do is they're not following 
people who use drugs, they're not following nonprofits like mine that are seeking to educate the community in a non-biased way. I feel like as ONDCP has had conversations with the community and is really trying to understand what the problem is and how they can help, why isn't the DA doing that? Why isn't the DA sitting with local community leaders and representatives of people who use drugs and saying, okay, let's try to figure out some sort of compromise here. DA, this is my problem. I don't want drugs here, drug community. Well, drugs are gonna be here, so what can we do to work together? And I know that there could be a way but I think it's a pipe dream for now. I'm hoping that as over time and people to continue to be louder about the subject and you have more people in the DA who realize, hmm, let's get with the times, that will happen. Um, and I just think it's unfortunate that in 2022 that hasn't come to uh, fruition yet. All right, gotcha. You know what I think? I think we have a solution here. The DEA should change their E from enforcement to education, the Drug yes. Education Agency. Love it. Drug exactly. Exactly. Like, what are you enforcing? Like, okay, stop. Like, are you going to go to the bar and like every person who like gets drunk, like you're going to arrest them? Like, no, you're not. That's a shitty waste of your time. And like, it's just, it's, it's tough because there's, there's so much, you know, and this is probably a thing you see too. I think a lot of the stuff that you and I have talked about and you and I both believe are actually pretty simple ideas. Like, if you take out all the like BS and like the stigma and like whatever, it's really, it makes sense. People are dying from drug poisoning. Let's legalize the market. So that way, if people use drugs, they like, don't die from it. Like pretty damn simple, mm -hmm. but the way like everything is around us, it makes it so hard. Um, and I just, I wish there was a solution to making the bubble pop and not be so fragile because I feel like on both sides, people are obviously very uh, amped and um, emotional and I get it. Um, and I just, I would love to figure out some way to sort of bridge the divide. And I really do think that the DEA could play. Can you imagine if they just turned to education and it's like, this is what we do? Like people would be so stoked and they would actually make such a huge difference. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, this is Alex's pose along with the DEA should do. I, I doubt that's going to happen anytime soon, but just a thought. Yeah, I, I think that would be absolutely amazing. And um, well, I, I have to go up uh, pretty soon because I actually have to work at, go to work at five. I've got a gig yeah. to play. Um, but um, I wanted to say, uh, I was going to ask you, do you know Claire Zagorski? I don't. She was on, she, she was a host, co-host the Drug Futurisms podcast. She was on the podcast. But one thing that you both uh, kind of share in common is that you don't come from the drug culture. She, like you, mm. she, she came from, she was a paramedic. So she saw the negative wow, sides okay. of this. And, um, and I let, and I really think that it's important because I come from having been arrested from drugs, having problems with drugs, having seen friends die from drugs, that right. side of it. So part of people, when they listen to me, they might think, oh, here's a, a guy that likes to get high and wants to be able to do it legally. So they just write me off as that. But what you and Claire are doing is so important because you're not, you're coming from somebody outside of that circle who says, look, it's messing yeah. them up. Exactly. And and I, so I think we need more, I think we need more people to do that because I, unfortunately, we have credibility. It is so dumb. What credibility? Why do I have something to speak on that I've never even used? Right? It's such BS. Like it really, like they give me more credibility than you when you actually understand it ten times that I ever will. Uh, so I think it's silly. But again, yes, I think more people all around need to be educated. More people need to speak up, and more people have to be incentivized to do the right thing, which is like education and learning, and like not shutting the door, like. There's this whole thing of like rehabs getting paid by like certain organizations to push stuff. Like the whole point is we want to save people. We want people to live like lives and pursue their full like potential and like recovery is a way to do that. And that doesn't mean abstinence. And I think that's important for everyone to know. Yeah, I agree. And I think the reason that you're, you would be allowed to be an expert and I'm not is that once you've admitted that you do drugs, you're a pariah. And this was really highlighted with uh, like Graham Hancock speaking about psychedelics, but having used them, he's fringe. And then this guy, Brian Rear Rescue, writes this book about the, the history of the Catholic Church, basically as a, cult, a psychedelic cult. And he brings up all these facts and everything. And there's actually a, a Harvard class about it now, but he's never done psychedelics. So he was allowed mm. to talk about it. And that yeah. was important for the movement. We need people that aren't on the inside because they're not listened to. So yeah. it's really important to have people that 
and I love that's what, one thing I liked about my podcast. My sister, my mom, my family, I didn't talk to them about my drug use. They, they assumed I was past that in high school because I just covered it up well. Then I came out with all this and I've changed their minds. They didn't like, oh my God, I can't believe you told me you did that. Now it's like, we see, we see this whole thing differently now. That's awesome. I'm so happy to hear that. Like, and that's, that's what it's all about, right? Like people seeing like everything that I do at the Albertus project comes down to like the human. And at the end of the day, you are a good human being and they should just rally and support. And hopefully they are. And it's like, I, I'm very happy to hear that they like listen to your podcast. They're like, oh, okay fine. Like we get it, you know, at least they understand you a little bit more. And I think that that's, that's something that every family member should want to do for a loved one. Definitely. And that's definitely, if your loved one's an addict, tough love, or tough love, tough love is something that we were a good, a, we were sold something that does not work and that is not love. Right. And that the last thing somebody going through that needs is to be cut off from their loved ones. It does not help them. Preach it. I'm with you hundred percent. Well, Alex, thank you so much for doing this. And um, one last thing is uh, your Beatles fan. I see back there. Yes. We got Beatles oh. stuff all over the house. I, I love the Beatles. That's awesome. Yeah, Love no, Beatles are, Beatles are, I actually got that. My husband and I got it for like a hundred bucks and I'm like, this is like the greatest deal ever. It's so awesome. That's awesome. And, where, and you're in New York? I'm actually in uh, Northern Virginia, right outside of DC, like half an hour oh, from Washington. Is that what, David was in New York, wasn't he? David was in New York. Yeah. Where are you in Florida? I go there a lot to Boca, Boca Raton. My family's there. I believe that's the other side of it. I'm on Fort Myers, Gulf Coast. Oh, you're Fort Myers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We um, fly into like Fort Lauderdale. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I go, we go to that coast a lot too. I'm also, I got an invite for your book club. And I definitely have, I've been wanting to do a book, being involved in a book club forever. Unfortunately, I have like five books I'm reading right now. This Confessions of an Ethical Drug Dealer. So next, just from. Oh, cool. People. Well, fill me in. I was going to say, if you have any, yeah, yeah, no worries if you can't join by all, by all well, means. I'll, I just I'm saying, I'm, do you do a different invite for each um, book that you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'll definitely yeah. do one at some point. Right now, I just have so cool. many authors. I'm trying to not book any more authors and I just keep. Yeah, no, authors. I know. It's so tick because then you got to read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that that's what I just recently did. I like, I finally finished my batch of hoarding so which i'm excited to have you on the next time but like i've read so it's great but it's like so much preparation mm -hmm. in order to like have a podcast interview yep exactly yeah. so uh, but yeah so stay in touch and um yeah if i get any good guests that uh, I'll, I'll mention you um, what's the name of your podcast it's it tapping into the human All right. basically tap into the human care about people humanize i love it i love it yeah. I'll follow and that obviously too. once i once i start recording again you are going to be one of my first guests. So I appreciate you having me on and thanks for all that you do. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for being on. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. Peace, Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. As always, if you like what we're doing, go to Apple podcast, give us a five-star rating, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, peace on drugs podcast, go to www.thepeaceondrugs.com. Subscribe to our newsletter. And we're going to hand it over to Twiggy branches. Peace. Out. 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 You pay for what you can't.